turn with me to Exodus chapter 18, starting at verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Please be seated. You ever pondered how practical God is? That God in his sovereignty puts together uh, structures and infrastructures uh, to, to move his, his purposes along throughout redemptive history. Have you, have you ever pondered how practical God is? Um, an example of that would be the, the timeliness of, of Jesus uh, in, in, his, in his incarnation, right? The, the, the moment in time where Jesus was born, lived, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, that, that timeliness of, of that, those events, how practical that, that is. Think about it this way. When you look back at, at human history, right, that we, we see um, even the prophet of Daniel long time ago talking about this kingdom that would come. And, and this kingdom comes, and, it, and this kingdom creates this big empire. That it, 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 it conquers most of Europe. It conquers most of North Africa and, and parts of the Middle East and, and Palestine. And, and this, this kingdom establishes these great big metropolises and these cities of commerce and connects all of these cities together with trade routes and roads, right? This, this Roman empire, and it's into this particular time that Jesus is born. So that after his resurrection... Right, he, he, He's there, and, and after his resurrection, he's, he ascends to heaven, and then the Spirit of God is poured out on the church. Right, The, the, the disciples are there, the day of, day of Pentecost, and the Spirit is poured out, and Peter goes out, and he preaches a sermon. And 3,000 people proclaim the name of Jesus that day. And, and from that moment, that this place in Jerusalem, that the gospel spreads like wildfire because of the structures put into place by the Roman Empire. Right, because of the, the infrastructure, the practical things that God worked out beforehand so that in a matter of decades, this gospel could spread to most of the known world and tens of thousands of people would begin to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. God is practical. 
God uses structure to move his mission along. Um, this morning is going to feel pretty practical. Right? I want to talk about mission, first of all. We remind us of our mission. We believe that, that, that not only have, have we had this new identity because of who Jesus is and what he did for us, but we also have a new purpose. And it's expressed through the Great Commission where Jesus himself tells us to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples and baptize and teach people to obey Jesus. There is this, this mission that we as a church have to go. And so we hold this mission in tension with our need. We recognize this morning that we have needs. We have physical needs, we have emotional needs, we have spiritual needs, we have relational needs. And, and the reality is, is, is we need to have all of these needs met in order for us to move. The, the truth is, is that oftentimes needs get in the way of mission. Needs can bog the mission down. Needs can actually thwart the mission from happening. We live in a culture which spends billions of dollars every year to teach us one lesson. You need. You need, you need, you need, you need, and your needs never stop. You'll never stop needing. That's the lesson which we're taught. And the reality is, is this idea gets into the church and, and we get bogged down by it and the mission itself can be thwarted with this idea that, that your needs have to be met first. And I'm not saying this morning that we don't have legitimate needs. We do. But the reality is, is that we need to look at what God has put in place practically and use structures and infrastructure and things that he's done to lighten the burden of our needs so that we can move forward with our mission. So that's what this morning is about. This is a, a family meeting, so to speak. So if this is your first time here, I'm glad you're here. Um, you'll, you'll get a, 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 you know, a taste of, of what we believe and what we're about, and, and, uh, and you'll get to, to experience that. Um, this is not a typical message for me. As I said, this is pretty practical in, in its nature. Uh, but for, the, for those of you who call this your church home, this is a family meeting. We're going to look at the needs that we have and address them, so that we could be, move forward with our, our mission, all right? Um, I also want to say right off the bat that this is, um, it's partial. Uh, it, it, it's a half message, so to speak. This is an incomplete message, and here's the reason for that. Um, I look at New Community Church kind of like a bicycle, and, uh, and, and in order to move forward, we have two pedals, right? We have two things that move us forward, two pedals. And so when you put weight on one pedal, uh, the other one lifts up, right? I, uh, when we moved to Zini a couple years ago, I bought a bike, all the bike trails that are around here, and I bought clip-ins, the clip-in shoes, right? And they really do, like, maximize your effort. You step on one pedal, the other, the other pedal lifts up the, 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 the opposite pedal, right? And so you get this motion going, and it sort of makes it smoother and more efficient, and you can move quicker and that sort of thing, right? Now, imagine trying to pedal a bike. You have a clip-in on one shoe and just a normal shoe on the other foot that you got one foot that is able to not only push down on the pedal, but lift up the pedal. But the other is just, just can push. That's all it can do. How, how inefficient will that be? How much stronger will one leg become than the other? Now imagine like one of the pedals falls off. You just got a clip in on your left shoe and you're able to push down and lift up, but the other leg just dangles off to the side. How far do you think you're gonna ride that way? Right? A lot of churches have one pedal. A lot of churches have this, this, this idea that, that the Sunday morning gathering, that's it. The Sunday morning gathering is responsible for all that a church is and does as a community. A couple of hours together on a Sunday morning, that's the one pedal that they have to move forward. 
and it's inefficient, and it doesn't work. Uh, we believe in something called a house church, right? On the Sunday morning, we do have the gathering, but we also have house churches. That's the other pedal. Now, if I could sum up each of these environments in one word, this is what I would say. This is what I'm gonna say. <laughs> the gathering is about reminding. It's about reminding. You, you come in here on a Sunday morning from a week where you have walked through the mud. You have walked through environments where people are telling you what your identity should be in, telling you lies about who you are and how you should live. And you get here on a Sunday morning and you need to be reminded of the truth. You need to be reminded of what God has done for you, especially through the work of Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded because reminding cleanses. Reminding is like a power wash to, 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 to wash off the muck and the, the, the grime of the week that you've just experienced. But it's also reminding in order to refuel you, to send you out, to empower you, to walk in this truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Reminding. But reminding should lead to response which should be worship. It should be raising of hands and, and proclaiming to yourself, to your own heart, to the people around you in this room of God's goodness and his gloriousness and his graciousness. It should be worship in response. But the Sunday morning, it's, it's about reminding. The house church is about equipping. Equipping is, is it's this, this, this time in your week where we meet in communities from Beaver Creek all the way out to Cedarville in people's homes, and we remind one another of the truth, but we also proclaim in such a way that we live it out. That, that this equipping becomes truth in love, that we, we immerse ourselves in what it means to be a gospel-saturated people. Our greatest apologetic as a church is our love for one another. When the world experiences our love for one another, Jesus says they will know that we belong to him. Being able to live in community and speaking the truth in love for one another equips us to be on this mission that God has sent us on. So reminding and equipping. Now, as I said, this is only part of a message this morning because we're only gonna be looking at the, the, the reminding or the gathering pedal of the bicycle this morning. The house church pedal, that's coming, but not today. So let's dive in. We're gonna be looking at Exodus 18 this morning. Um, before we get there, though, I need to talk about the passage. I gotta set it up a little bit. If you've never studied the book of Exodus, it has two stories. The first half of the story is about salvation. It is about a people who are descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they grow up uh, in slavery in Egypt. And uh, there, there are millions of these Israelites at this time, and, and they're enslaved, and they cry out to God for salvation cry out for deliverance. And so God raises up a deliverer, a savior, a man named Moses, and he sends Moses to them. And Moses, um, with, with the staff of God in his hand, um, demands that, uh, that Pharaoh let his people go. And through a series of plagues or judgments that God pours out on the gods of Egypt, they're, they're set free. So the, the children of Israel, they're leaving uh, Egypt, and they're heading out into the wilderness, and they are stopped by this big sea that stands in front of them. And they look behind them, and here's the Egyptian army bearing down to go and bring them back. And it seems that they're trapped. And just then, God parts the water, and they walk through on dry land, and they're saved. This, this picture of salvation that we're reminded of in baptism. Right? This, this, this is our saved people. 
And so that's what the first half of the book of Exodus is all about, a saved people. The second half of the book of Exodus is all about this saved people becoming a priestly people, a priestly people. They're led to uh, Mount Horeb or, or Mount Sinai, and, uh, and Moses goes up the mountain, and he receives the Ten Commandments from God. These people are meant to be shaped by these Ten Commandments. Uh, Tim Chester writes uh, this in his commentary on Exodus. What we are meant to understand is that the Ten Commandments are missional. They were given to shape the life of Israel so that as a nation, they displayed the goodness of God. God was creating one area in the world where the goodness of his rule could be seen. These Ten Commandments were about giving this people an identity. They were to leave that place and they were to go into the promised land and they were to be a light to all the nations around them, putting on display the goodness and greatness of God. They were supposed to be a priestly nation. They had this system of worship in the tabernacle where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year and he wore this garment that had 12 stones on it, symbolizing the 12 tribes of evil, Israel. He goes in with, with a blood sacrifice to atone for their sins. He goes in to, to, to represent the people. He comes out to represent God. The nation of Israel was meant to represent God in the place in which they lived. Uh, it says this in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Because I want you to understand what's going on here. In the book of Exodus, you have a saved people who are becoming a priestly people, right? And right in the middle, there's this hinge section, right? They're finding out what their identity is, and they're finding out what their purpose is. And right in the middle is this, this hinge section. And what we find is two things in here. The first is the possible response the world has to God and his salvation. The first response is, is demonstrated by the Amalekites, the Amalekites, uh, according to Exodus 17, they had the, their, their hand against the very throne of God. These were people who embodied a spiritual war that had, had, had lasted since, since Satan led a rebellion in heaven. These Amalekites, they, they, they embodied a spiritual war that continues to this day. But they, they see the people of God and they see the work of God and yet in rebellion and anger and hatred towards God raise their hand against him. In response to that, Moses goes up on a hill and he, with the staff of God raises his hands against them and the Israelites defeat them in battle that's one response the nations can have to God and, and, and who he is and what he's done the other response that's embodied by a man named Jethro Jethro is Moses' father-in-law and he comes out he's not an Israelite he comes out to Moses and Moses shares with him the good news Moses shares with him how God saved them, how God brought them out of slavery, how God helped them in the wilderness, how God parted the seas. And here is Jethro's response, chapter 18, 9 through 11. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro is confessing faith. He then goes on to offer sacrifices with the leaders of the Israelites. He has, he has become adopted into this family. There's two responses that the nations can have to who God is and what God's done. Either we can reject him or we can join him. 
Jethro embodies that, that second thing. But here's the thing that we also see in this hinge point, that between people knowing they're saved and becoming a people on mission, their needs have to be dealt with. They have a new identity as a saved people, but they don't know themselves yet as a priestly people. They don't know what their purpose is yet. In between these two things, we find Jethro speaking into a situation of need, practical, structural need. So look with me. Chapter 18, verse 13, And the next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. What you're doing is not good. Uh, here's what's happening. These are uh, a newly freed people. They have no identity who they are. They don't know who they are. They've been slaves their whole lives, and all of a sudden, they're free. They're free, and they don't have taskmasters telling them how to live. They're free, and they're trying to live in community with other people in the wilderness. And there's strife, and there's problems, and there's difficulty. They get into all sorts of arguments. They don't know who they are. They don't know what their life is about. They don't know what they're doing. These are really messy people. And so what's happening is they are, they are just in the midst of their need. So much need. And Moses spends every day, morning till night, dealing with need after need after need after need. This is not good. Those words, they take us back to the opening pages of Genesis where God, in the midst of his good creation, he creates Adam and he sees that Adam is there alone and God declares, this is not good. So Eve is, is brought into existence like his helpmate, someone to carry the burden and share the load because it's not good that man is alone. This is what, what, what he, Jethro is saying about Moses. It's not good what you're doing. Verse 17 Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. It's too heavy for you. You know, God has appointed his people leaders. You know, in Ephesians 4, we read about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers that God has given to the church for the purpose of equipping the church. But do you realize that for these Christian leaders, if they spend their lives only in the need, they burn out. Do, do you realize that, that God has created these leaders for the purpose of mission, for the purpose of, of moving, for the purpose of seeing people hear the gospel and believe in it and are changed by it? And, and to be honest, there's a lot of churches out there that are just stuck in their need. They're just stuck in what what, what they want in this moment. And it's all about their need. And the reality is, needs matter. We have real needs. They need to be met. Needs matter. But if we never move out of the need, we will do nothing. And we will accomplish nothing. And this will be about us and not about God. We have to be able to move out of that need. So, God practically shows us how. 
Verse 19. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. You will be able to endure. How does this happen? The burden of leadership is spread, and many hands pick up this heavy weight and make it lighter. Many hands pick up the burden of this this structure, of this community, so that it can actually move forward, so that this community can ascend the hill or the mountain and get God's commandments and be defined by it and shaped by it and move into the promised land in order to be the people that God has called them to be. Many hands to make the load lighter, to carry the burden. It's practical boring structure that leads a church forward out of its complacency, out of its need, into its mission. That's what we're here to talk about this morning. You fast forward, we actually see something very similar in the New Testament. The Spirit of God comes down on the day of Pentecost, the church is birthed, and almost right off the bat, need stops the church from moving forward. A group of, uh, of Greek-speaking widows are ignored in the daily distribution of food. It needs to be addressed. These women need to be taken care of. And so the apostles, they say, okay, we have one of two options right now. Either we can stop what we're doing, we'll stop praying, and we'll stop ministering with the word, and we will meet these people's needs. And on a daily basis, we'll meet their needs, and we'll meet everybody else's needs, and it'll be need after need after need. Or the church can appoint seven people full of the Holy Spirit to meet this need, and we can keep praying and keep ministering with the Word. That's what they do. Practical structure enables needs to be met and the church to move forward in its mission. Right? We are in this position as, as a church. We are a people, I believe, I believe you know that you're saved. I believe that you know what Christ has done for you. I believe we're struggling with our mission. I believe the reality is is that for us to actually engage the culture and the communities that are around us with the gospel, we need to let go of some of our needs and move with boldness. We We are in a place like the Israelites were, in between being saved and being shaped by God's word that leads to action and purpose. We are in this hinge moment. And the time is is for us to address our needs so that we can move forward. And in a practical way, just looking at the gathering this morning, that's what we're going to do. So, in the book of Acts, we see in Acts 6 that this this incident happens. uh, Need is is addressed. Now, from that passage, we don't see the word deacon, but we see it later on in Scripture. Um, We see it in in, in the epistles, in, in the letters, especially the pastoral epistles. In 1 Timothy 3, we actually see qualifications for it. 
See, over the course of, of, of the writing of Scripture, God puts into place two leadership structures within the church, elders and deacons. Since its beginning, uh, Apex Xenia, uh, now new community, has always had elders, but we've never had deacons until now. Looking at uh, the, the growing needs of, of our body, uh, these past few months, the elders have begun to install deacons as part of the structure uh, of, of this church in order to carry the burden and lighten the load. So 1 Timothy 3 says this about the qualifications of a deacon. Beginning of verse 8 through 13, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now we look at um, the epistles and we see that both men and women are called deacons in the New Testament. Um, we take this message to mean that a servant uh, deacon is someone who has proven themselves to be leaders, who is honest, who has integrity, who is led by the Spirit, who is generous, faithful to the gospel, faithful to their spouse, faithful in raising their children, if God has given them at this point. But these are people who are humble, serving, faithful people. Serving. Uh, the word deacon actually means servant. So that's what we're going to call them. Servant team leads. Right? These are servants, people who serve the body. We do that because of Jesus. Jesus, who said in Mark 10, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is the example of leadership from the Bible. It's service. It's an upside-down pyramid. To, to, to us, we see the Bible in leadership. It's not going up, it's going down. It's not gaining in power and influence. It's not gaining in stature or position. It is, it is humbly serving, laying down your life in humility for one another. That's what leadership looks like in the Bible. There are people who have been serving in a variety of roles already that we have asked to, to take on uh, these qualifications, who meet these qualifications, and to continue to lead in these ways. So what I want to do now is I want to introduce you, one, to the servant team leads. Uh, two, I want to uh, talk about the practical needs that they meet in terms of making this gathering happen on Sunday mornings. And three, I want to introduce you to their needs that you, practically speaking, can meet. Right? So, first thing I want to say about this is, as we go forward, the way that you respond is there's a communication card in the pew back in front of you. You just grab that, you put your information on it, and you write the, sort of the team that you want to be a part of on it. You drop it in uh, one of the black boxes or you hand it to somebody at the connections table after the gathering. Now, before you get there, if this isn't your church home, and I know we have a lot of college students, you're, you're maybe just still checking out churches from the fall, you haven't landed yet, if that's where you're at, great. Like, I, I want you to be a part of a church, I want you to invest in the church that you end up, if that's not here, that's great. That's okay. But, in the meantime, until you've landed, Leave that blank. Don't, don't, don't go there, okay? Um, secondly, there are so many of you who are already serving. There are so many of you who are already serving in two, three, four places, and I don't want you to serve anymore. I want you to stop. Don't fill out a connection card, okay? Don't do it. 
I want you to recognize, look around this room. There are plenty of people here. There's also a, 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 the first gathering. There are plenty of people here who can pick up this weight. Okay? And in fact, in a couple of weeks, as people have joined these, these servant teams, um, if there's an area where you feel like because you're already serving in multiple areas, you could let go of, then let go of that. It's not about you burning out. Right? You're, you're not this church's savior. Right? So um, that's the, the second thing. Third thing, we did this before we moved out of the community center and in, into this building in February. We did this, and, and there, was, there was a small number of you who responded but never followed through. Okay? Don't do that. Right? Pray about this. Look, this isn't about guilt. This is about conjoling you and trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. Don't do that. Right? In a little bit, we'll, we'll, we'll ask the hard question, maybe why, but don't, but don't do that, right? All right, so let me inter- introduce you to some people and some teams. Here's the first one. Uh, Jay Jackson, he's on staff. He, uh, he also leads the offering collect count team. Um, praise God, we don't need anybody for this team, but you can see how practical this is. Um, people drop their tithes and offerings in those black boxes. They need to be counted. They need to end up in a bank account, and things need to, you know, be accurate and, and that sort of thing. Um, this is already taken care of. Here's the next one. Financial resources team. Uh, this is a new team uh, that we have, uh, have asked to help us because of this new facility and the costs and the, some of the financial stuff that goes into this. Um, people uh, have expertise and backgrounds in HR or, or whatever you have. Like, there's a whole bunch of financial stuff that goes into this that, to be honest, the elders don't want to be dealing with on a regular basis. There, there's other stuff like the mission that, w- that we need to be talking about and, and moving forward with. And so this is a really important team that deals with a lot of practical issues and structures that need to be put in place. Um, we're looking for three more people to join that team. So if that's for you, then fill out a connection card and hand it to somebody at the connection table. Uh, tech team. Uh, there's three servant team leads over this. Uh, Paul Beach is over our live stream. Uh, Ryan Ruff is over the soundboard. And Adam Davis is over the media and, and the projection. Um, we are in need of um, a live stream person and uh, a media person, a projection person, to, to round out this team and complete this. The, the goal here is that people will serve one Sunday a month. One Sunday a month, that's it. Um, the, the tech team, really what they essentially do for us is they uh, keep out distraction, right? When, when there's you know, reverberation happening through the speakers or when there's, you know, sound is off in there, that's a distracting thing. Or when uh, things are wrong with the slides or, you know, uh, you're watching from home because you're sick or whatever, you can't make it and there's things going on there. Like, they're distracting things. We're trying to cut down on distracting so that you can connect with God. It's simple, it's practical, that's it. Uh, coffee Kitchen Crew is the next one. Um, we, we have a kitchen here, and uh, the, the current uh, leadership is, is Chuck and, and Rhonda Clevenger. Um, they're asking for someone who's highly organized to go in and organize the kitchen. Some of you, like, that's like your dream job. Like, I love organizing stuff. Let's do that. Um, they're also asking for a, a backup coffee crew to make coffee for, for us in the morning. I need that. Please. Like, don't. I mean, to come in on a Sunday is no coffee. I'm exaggerating, sort of. All right, uh, facility grounds team. This is led by uh, Jay Benicki. We need um, some more mowers. Uh, we need uh, uh, electric and plumbing experts. I mean, we don't, have, we don't have the money to hire people for stuff. We need people to do stuff for free. 
we're broke. We're not quite, but you know. Um, so we need people to step up in these, these areas. Talk to Jabe and Nikki about those. I mean, bottom line is you want to come in here, use the bathroom, and see that the toilet flushes, don't you? Pretty practical. Uh, connection team. Um, this is led by Judy Jackson and Sarah Craig. Um, we're looking for um, five people to serve. Um, they would actually love to, to have couples serve during one service and a different couple serve during the next service. Um, but these connectors are people that connect you to a house church. All right? So you have to be a part of a house church in order to be on this team. So you know. uh, pretty practical need. Uh, safety team. We have people that um, are checking to make sure that doors are locked when they're supposed to be locked and open when they're supposed to be open. They're keeping an eye on things. They're keeping an eye on our kids. Um, they're, they're basically just keeping an eye on us to make sure that we're safe. Uh, but we also have medical professionals who are on standby to um, administer first aid if that needs. Pretty practical need that we have. Um, we're in need of uh, two to three uh, safety uh, people, but also two to three uh, medical professionals. And so if that's you, fill that out. Um, now we're going to get into family ministry. Infants, you want to hold babies? There's some babies that need to be held. We need one per person for this. Um, see uh, Tristan about that. Toddlers, everybody loves toddlers, so there's no need for toddler help. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. Uh, family ministry, uh, four, five, K, this is four-year-old, five-year-olds, and, and kindergarten. Um, we need two people to help out there. Um, again, what you're doing in, in family ministry is you're coming alongside the parents and you're reinforcing the gospel, hopefully, that they're hearing at home and, uh, and, and, and aiding in that way. Uh, kid life, this is first grade up through fifth grade. Uh, we are looking to split those age groups up into two classes, um, and so we are in need of at least five people to make that happen. Right? Again, this is about loving kids. I know, like, everybody's, oh, I don't want to do kid ministry. Don't. Don't. It's okay. But if you love kids and you love teaching kids the gospel, do this. All right, uh, student ministry, we're good there um, right now. And then uh, frontline. Frontline is, is a really important job. Th this meets a, an emotional need, a relational need. When people walk through that door for the first time, like somebody needs to look them in the eye, shake their hand, and make them realize that, hey, we are actually glad that you're here. We, we need to have people who are, are kind and warm and like people who know how to remember people's names. Yeah, it's important, right? So the, somebody comes in that door, they, they feel like they're a human being. And this is a place where human beings are. And we're glad that they're there. Huge practical need. We're, we need um, at least two people there, uh, but, but we, we wouldn't stop anybody else from signing up. Uh, worship team. We need bass players. Bass players, I see your hand right there. Um, we actually, uh, Brett, who was playing the, the bass up here this morning, he said, I will train them. If they can read a chord chart, I will train them on how to play a bass. So some of you, like, this is your time to be, you know, fulfill that rock and roll dream, you know? <laughs> All right? So um, if, if that's you, bass players need it. Um, lastly, um, parking team is not an official team because we, we hope that it doesn't, it's not needed all the time. We're going to have it repaved and relined and better signage out there. Uh, I don't want people out there in the middle of winter freezing to death telling where people where to park. But in the meantime, we are struggling with parking. Okay? Now, here's the last need I want to talk to you about. If you have a, a kid in, in, in family ministry, then you need to come to the 1045 gathering. However, if you don't have kids in that age group, Right? If, you're, if you're a college student, if you're an empty nester, you know, if you don't have kids in that age group, will you consider coming to the 9 a.m. gathering? 
Um, it, it frees up space in the parking lot. It, it provides a little bit more space in here for people who are, who are new. But would you consider coming to the 9 a.m. gathering if you don't have kids in, four, or in, in family ministry? Would you do that as a way to serve the body? Okay? That's it. Now I'm going to wrap up. I get that as far as sermons go, this is not the one that you're going to be like, man, can't wait to get home to listen to this one again. As far as messages go, like, it, 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 was, it was practical, and it was practical on purpose. But, but here's, here's, here's some, some questions that I want to get at to when it comes to your heart. When it comes to this church and its mission, is this something you want to be a part of? Like, do, do you say to yourself, like, I get to be a part of this. I get to be a part of this. Not I have to. Not I have nothing better to do. Not, there's no other place to go, or it's do I want to, do I get to be a part of this? Do you get to be a part of this? Now, if the answer is no, let's ask some why questions. Is it the church's fault? Like, realistically, as we have elders, have we made some decisions that you find questionable, that you, uh, you have lost respect for us over? Do you think that there's some accountability issues or some hypocrisy issues? Like, is there an issue with the leadership of the church where you would say, I, I, that's, that's my problem? If that's the case, would you come to us? Would you speak the truth in love to us? Would you sit down with us? Can, can we work together to work this out? Because we're not above sinning. We have made bad decisions. We, we have messed up. Can you speak the truth to us in love? Secondly, maybe you look at our mission and say, I, I don't think this is what a church is about. You guys talk about the fact that, like, I need to know the gospel and go out and share it with other people. I grew up in a church where, you know what? If you want somebody to know Jesus, you bring him to church. It's the pastor's job to do that. Like, this, this whole job of, of converting people or making people disciples, like, that's a paid professional's job. It's not mine. And, and, and we are unapologetically all about helping you, equipping you to articulate the gospel in the communities in which you live. We, all the way, that is our mission. And, and if you would say, that, that, that's not a mission I want to be a part of, you need to ask why. You need to begin to ask your, your, your heart some questions about this. Do you want to be a part of this? Is this something that you get to be a part of? And, and if your attitude towards that is like, man, what, what is going on in your heart? Like, do you recognize this great salvation that has been wrought for you? Do you understand that you were an enemy of God? Do you understand that your sin, your offenses, have earned you death and nothing but? That you were enslaved to your sin. You were doomed and you could do nothing to save yourself. Do you understand what you were before Jesus entered the picture? Do you know that his incarnation, that his perfect life lived on your behalf and his atoning death in your place? Do you know the peace that that brought with you to God? Do you know what love he has loved you with? Do you understand the sacrifice that the Son of God would become sin so that you would know the righteousness of God. 
Do you know the love with which you've been loved with? And have you embraced that love? And do you love what he loves? That's the bottom question. Do you love who Jesus loves? Do you care that there are people who are living and dying apart from God and forever? Do we care? Do we care enough to address our needs realistically, faithfully, carefully, but address our needs so we can move into action, so we can move forward, so we can be the people that God called us to be in the places God called us to to be in. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for the ways that, that you love us and we don't even know it. Thank you for the, the things that you have put into place that are, are designed and crafted long before the foundations of the earth with so much detail and care and so many things that you put into place that we don't even, don't even know about. We take for granted. The fact that you have designed each one of us, that you put us into this moment, that you have called us to this place. We have called us to this people, to this community. Thank you. And Father, I pray that, that we would be a people who would see your mission as something that we get to be a part of. That the God of the universe would call us and would choose us and put us into this redemptive plan that, that, that we would be used by the creator of the universe to bring about the plan, the plan, that you would do that. How awesome you are, how good, how great. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would embolden us, that you would remove fear, that you would help us to recognize our need, help us to recognize the need in other, one, other people's lives, and help us to, to work to meet those needs. Not ignore them, not, not push them under the rug, not pretend like they're not there, but to really meet the needs of one another so that with many light hands we move forward with your purpose. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.